0: Well, good morning, church. If you're visiting tonight, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity City Church. Uh, so greetings to you uh, that are here in person and those of you that are... T- Father in heaven, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for the brothers and sisters that are tuning in at home. Thank you for those that may not identify with this faith yet, but they're exploring you and your purposes and your causes, and they have a lot of questions. We know that you do not hide yourself, Lord. You speak. And it's with that anticipation now we turn to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This last year plus has been bitter. And I and we have not liked it. I know we have reviewed this plenty uh, over the course of maybe several messages. But I want to review some of the experiences that you've had uh, as a church that's unique to us, but also very common to the experience that many have had uh, across our state and even globally. Your fall of 2019 started off with me announcing that I had cancer. So sorry to burn you with that one, but that's how everything got kicked off for this congregation specifically. And that almost seamlessly went into a season when my uh, Uh, treatment stopped we went right into this pandemic and the stay-at-home order Uh, the good news uh, especially for those of you that might be visiting for the first time i'm okay so i'm still in remission uh... right now i battled uh, stage four non-hodgkins lymphoma uh... uh, maybe just briefly I have another scan coming up right after the fourth of july uh... so i have them about every four months but so far things are feeling and looking good but we went from that season right into the the addition of the pandemic that was the stay-at-home edition of the pandemic followed by great unrest in our city uh, that we experienced at the end of may beginning of june which went into another edition of the pandemic when we got it essentially into the fall where it's what's everybody doing for education in season of that pandemic is it online as a person what, what if you're in college what do you do if you're going through k through 12 what's going on if you're an educator whether you're a faculty or administrator, it's just like i don't know it was just kind of a choose your own adventure it seemed by in terms of week by week and how you would interpret the policies for education and uh, we kind of had to go with the flow for quite some time in the meantime in the fall and towards uh, obviously through november we had a divisive election Uh, one perk however though at the very end of 2020 into 2021 is that the winter was mild, so there's that. Um, we, we forgot it like it, was, it was a winter. I thought it was a weak sauce winter. I like the really intense snowy ones that kind of just beat you up. Uh, this, this one was kind of weak sauce. It's fine. Uh, but for some of you, you loved that. And that was, that was a little bit of a blessing. Uh, And even to this day, as as we feel that uh, we're kind of in, at least in terms of the pandemic, that we're we're experiencing the season of spring where it's like brighter days are ahead, warmer days are ahead. There's still the lingering impact that I think many of us are feeling. Our our city itself is still dealing with some... Uh, high crime uh, when you consider what we're dealing with historically. There's just also this kind of sense that I get from a lot of people of continued uncertainty. I mean, even right now, you go into different businesses, different area of our city, and I, I'm fully vaccinated, but I bring my mask because I don't know what I'm walking into. I don't know what the expectations are. And it's just like, I think that's just a good metaphor of like, I just don't know. How do you do life and community and grocery shopping and all of the things now we're kind of Figuring it out. It's been a bitter season, in other words. Many of us are tired, disconnected. We feel that we're divided with one another, that our gas tanks are empty. And w- one of the things that, in my observation, both in my life and the life of this congregation, maybe even our city, it feels like we're all wound a little tight. Just and they're kind of walking, we always feel like we're walking on eggshells a little bit. Ruth in its setting takes place during a bitter time, too. And that's one of the reasons I picked this book for this moment for our church. Remember, the Book of Ruth happened during the time of Judges. This was a time in scripture where everybody did what was right according to their own eyes. Judges was so bad that it would make our 2020, 2021 experience look like a trip to Disney World compared to the things that they were dealing with. It was an extremely bitter time. And then the book, as you know, zeroes in on the life of Naomi, who has a good life. We are reminded of the very beginning. She's married, she has sons. But then we quickly realize that her family faces this uncertainty due to a famine that causes them to relocate, to migrate to a different area. And there, Naomi loses her husband. Even though her sons remarry over 10 years, they never have children and they too die. And we are left with this start of a story with a mother in law and her two daughter in laws, and they are empty. Her life has so full of suffering. That she describes it by changing her name from Naomi to Mara because it just sounds bitter, right? That's what the word means, the name means. Her life is bitter. It's Mara. That's her name, right? It's a bitter life. And one of the big reasons that it's bitter is she lost her family line, which especially for this ancient context means that she lost a social safety net that came with it. Her life Day-to-day is one that's defined by uncertainty and insecurity. That's what she's dealing with. But I didn't pick the book of Ruth only because it takes place during uh, a time where everybody did what was right in their own eyes, which meant it's a rough time to be alive. And also that it narrowed it down to a story where you saw this empty and bitter life. The story of Ruth didn't end there. and doesn't end there. We now get to the end, and you get to lean into the part of the story where you see renewal and fulfillment. And that's the other reason I picked the book of Ruth, because that's my hope for the season that we're starting to lean into. Things are changing. Things are hopeful. When you're walking with the Lord, even through such a bitter season of life, there's always hope for renewal and fulfillment because of his kindness. So let's check out how this story ends. Ruth chapter 4, 1 through 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know." For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it," he said. The setting takes place in the town gates, and it's—you uh, can't j- just don't picture like a, like a simple like set of gates that they're kind of hanging out by. The town gates were the public sca- uh, public square of uh, an ancient world. Here's a picture of maybe a, the type of setting that this conversation would have taken place, and you have gates, you have big towers and big structures right around the gates and sometimes you had these little rooms that were off to the side where people would sit in these public settings and deliberate and in this case, a very legal manner, uh, matter was being discussed. In this public setting, Boaz gets to work on fulfilling the promise he made to Ruth. Uh, the evening before. This is the threshing room floor incident that we unpacked yesterday, which uh, although has these kind of sexual overtones, it was a very innocent but brave ask for Ruth to go to Boaz, who's been showing her such kindness to lean into this responsibility to be the guardian redeemer of her family line, specifically Naomi's. And Boaz, in that moment, in his kindness, makes a commitment to do that, to provide that security through what we understand that that, that was detailed there, uh, through marriage specifically. The text says in the opening verse that it just so happened that this other guardian redeemer comes along. But we all already know, based on previous sermons, that the providence of God, although subtle, is very uh, prominent in this book. It's it's a cheeky way that the author again says that, of course, it just so happens. God is in charge and he's orchestrating this event. And the guardian redeemer that Boaz talked about, who's actually first in line before he is to have this legal obligation to redeem the situation, he happens by, and then this legal conversation starts to happen. We never learn the name of this guardian redeemer. Even Boaz, when he calls him over, just addresses him as friend. That's how the NIV translates it. And there's other translations that get into the more literal uh, uh, meaning of what, what he probably called out to this person. My favorite translation renders it Mr. So-and-so. Uh, and one, one commentator uh, essentially translates that to mean that it's the equivalent of, hey, you. Get on over here! That's basically what it is. His name is not relevant to the situations. And since he doesn't have a name, I will proceed to call him Mr. So-and-so throughout the rest of this commentary, all right? So the town elders gather also at this ancient legal discussion because they're serving as witnesses in this setting. So the proceeding begins with Boaz addressing this guardian redeemer who we are calling Mr. So-and-so who, compared to Boaz, doesn't have much to say, and that's the entire point, because he's going to serve as a character in this story to really again draw attention to the extraordinary kindness of Boaz compared to others. So this is what Boaz highlights, and he first centers in on the land. It's a land that belongs to a relative of theirs, who is Naomi. The text says that Naomi is selling the land, but the legal situation is more complicated than that. In Numbers 27, for example, real estate can pass through sons or daughters or other near relatives, but it's not clear and doesn't say anything about a widow being able to pass on real estate from her husband, which is likely the reason that the Old Testament and other areas are so clear about our responsibility to take care of the orphan and the migrant and the widow, uh, because in these situations there's not a whole lot of legal security for them. So that's the situation. Naomi didn't necessarily own the land in a literal sense, but she lost the land and then it can be claimed now by somebody else. Maybe in this situation, somebody outside of the family claimed the land, or maybe it's like being held in some type of ancient trust, but the point is is that she doesn't really have possession of it in the way that's secure and makes sense. This is a legally complicated situation, which is exactly why this this town hall meeting of uh, leaders from the city is taking place. And that also raises the uh, important focus that this, this situation is tragic. We always have to remember that. That's why this is taking place. It's been 10 years since Naomi lost her husband and lost her sons. And so that means 10 years ago, for some reason, they were forced off this property, and we know because... Part of it was detailed that it was due to a famine. So surely, even though Ruth doesn't detail this, it was probably a financially difficult time for this family. It got so bad that a family that was, was prosperous enough to own the land and all the security that came with it got desperate enough that they left that behind and went somewhere else because there was no food. That's how desperate this situation is. And now the implications of this 10 plus years later is that there's all this uncertainty over the land that Naomi's husband used to own. Somebody else might be on it. It might be held in this weird trust. There's uncertainty. The cleanest way to deal with this, Boaz is highlighting, is that some relative who is a guardian redeemer, and part of that title means that they have a a legal um, right to go back and buy this land back. And that's the other detail that's important. This isn't necessarily just like an inheritance where he gets a free piece of property. More than likely, it's taking on a complicated, stressful real estate transaction that's going to be costly. That's what's going on here and that's what's being debated. So this section ends with Mr. So-and-so simply saying, I will redeem it. He's going to do it. And imagine uh, if Naomi and Ruth are there listening to this public discussion. And they hear, I will redeem it. Where the night before, Ruth hears from the person, this person, Boaz, who she wants to do this redemption, this guardian redemption thing, that he's committed to it, he's going to do it, but there's a complication. Somebody else has a, a closer relation to this situation, so he is first in line. And she, she brings that conversation back to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and so they're hopeful that Boaz is going to be the one to do it, but they have to figure out this legal matter first, and at this part of the story, you hear... This other guy, Mr. So-and-so, is going to do it. I bet their hearts just sunk in that situation. Yet, Boaz has a little bit more to add to the situation. Verses 5 through 8. Look at those verses with me. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this... The guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Why does Boaz now go from a discussion about land and real estate and property to marriage, specifically to Ruth? Old Testament law covers a relative gaining land through this tragic situation. It definitely highlights that type of uh, scenario. And then there are also laws that deal with a man marrying his brother's widow, uh, in, unique situation, in unique settings so that the family name can continue. But this, is, this kind of scenario doesn't fit neatly in either one of those categories. You couldn't look up in Old Testament law the specific chapter and verse that says, okay, if this happens in the situation of Naomi, this is what you do. This is something, just as a side that often happens to us as Christians, right? Not everything you would like to be addressed in Scripture is there. Uh, there's some situations, many situations, where you're taking the principles that you learn from the sacred scripture and doing the best you can to apply it to unique situations. Uh, the random example I thought of is like back when I was in college, Napster was a big deal. Remember Napster? You got like a ton of free music music, uh, and by just going onto your computer, onto your internet. And I remember Metallica took issue with this back in the day and created all this like legal uh, discussion, not quite at the city gate, but you know, the modern equivalent of that. And it was ruled that this was effectively stealing uh, from artists. And based on the principles of scripture, they were right. And I still have a lot of repenting to do. I probably still have Napster songs that I need to figure out what to do with and some type of like random hard drive, right? So it's one of those things where like this, you can't look at scripture for a chapter verse on what do you do with with, uh, artists' creative uh, uh, rights to their their creative activity when it comes to this unique situation because of the internet and digital music, it was all kind of coming to a head. But nonetheless, that doesn't mean that as Christians, that means we're off the hook to do whatever we want. We still consider the principles of Scripture, the ethics of the Ten Commandments, the greatest commandments, to love God, love others, and we bring that all to bear, even in situations that are confusing, and that's what's happening here. The Scriptures and the Old Testament law does not directly deal head-on with this situation and so the thing that they are discussing and Boaz is doing is he's bringing a proposal to the table based on the principles of scripture even though there's not a law that directly deals with it so So mister so-and-so finding out this new information has four choices that he could make and these come from a commentator Daniel Block that lays these out number one he could go with the proposed plan. He could buy the land back, marry Ruth, and care for Naomi and her family name. And this would be an honorable thing to do based on the proposal that's happening here that's consistent with the principles of Scripture. He could also redeem the land, vow to marry Ruth, but then end up backing out of the commitment for whatever reasons. It could be sinister reasons or maybe reasons that it got too stressful. But if he did something like this, It would bring a great deal of shame to his family's name. The third thing he could do is he could redeem the land but not marry Ruth. That would have been an option, which means that Boaz still could have married Ruth, but then he would have taken possession of the land. Uh, This could provide legal pushback however, and it would be very complicated because when Ruth and Boaz, if they end up having kids, then who has the legal right to that land? And it would be really, really complicated. And also, again, the town square and the elders probably would be like, what's your deal, guy? Like, why aren't you uh, just going all in with the proposal? Why are you doing it halfway? And the last thing he could do is he, he could reject this offer and allow Boaz to fulfill the commitment. This move may not be as honorable as Mr. So and so doing it himself, uh, as the first option detailed, but it would still be respectable and it would be honorable. And Boaz already hinted that he's able and willing to fulfill this role if Mr. So and so does not. So, what happens? He goes with the fourth option. He permits Boaz to fulfill the responsibility of guardian redeemer and the only reason the text gives that he says no is that it might endanger his current estate. What is meant by this is not clear. There could be different reasons that are behind that. One reason could be that the cost of everything including the ongoing responsibility is too much and may put his current estate into risk and economic uncertainty. Another reason could be that uh, since both he and Ruth are old, there's a risk that they might have only have one child that would put his current family line and current estate in risk because he would be legally obligated to honor the family name and family line of Naomi and Ruth rather than his own in that situation. Or third, Boaz was clear in his description on this option that this marriage is to Ruth, the Moabite. So there could be an issue that's going on with Mr. So-and-so that he's concerned that this so-called outsider, according to his perspective, would be coming into his family tree and complicating things, which would be the most sinful reason not to do it. Whatever, whatever the reason, Boaz is granted the role of guardian redeemer. And this old school transaction is made official by this sandal thing, right? And what I love about the text at this point is that it does this quick like parenthesis where the author of Ruth lets uh, her readers know, for example, like, and these are ancient readers, right? Ruth is an old book. But this custom was so old that, they, that, that the author had to let the ancient audience know, hey, FYI, you don't do transactions like this, the sandal thing, this is what happens, this is what went down, right? It's, it's, it's like trying to describe uh, to Gen Z listening to music on tapes. And you got to kind of take them back there where it's just like you have to rewind and fast forward just to get to another track. Uh, It takes some time to do that, and you have to buy these physical things from a physical store, you don't just download them, and you just start blowing their mind because they don't uh, 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 have a situation where they even really have a point of reference for this. But one thing you can tell them is that if you're listening to the radio, you can record things onto this tape, uh, which, again, that's another thing that Scripture doesn't deal with, so you'd have to put the the principles in play there, right? Uh, All these questionable music legal things I keep bringing up, right? (laughs) So that's what's happening. So it's guaranteed now, and this... Old school transaction happens with a sandal. The sandal will essentially serve in future generations like this was agreed upon and sealed because here is the sandal of the person who said, yes, this is what we're going to do. And we had witnesses and town elders that can testify that this is the arrangement. In verses 9 through 10, Boaz announces the agreement and all the witnesses hear it. And he emphasizes when he says, I'm going to take this on, that he is going to honor and make sure that the family line and the family name of Naomi and her relatives is going to go on uh, forever and ever and ever. And this is a significant emphasis because it's in contrast with the fact that we don't know Mr. So-and-so's name, but Boaz is committed to not his name, but Naomi's family line and her name to continue on. The elders respond by confirming everything and blessing it and they hope boaz and ruth will make a large family that will be prominent and then they also say that they're celebrating that ruth is going to be incorporated into the greater family of god's people and that is being celebrated and then we get to this part of the renewal process verses 13 through 16. so boaz took ruth and she became his wife when he made love to her the lord enabled her to conceive And she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise... The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who's better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And how fulfilling must that moment have been for this woman who had been through so much and has this loyal, amazing companion in Ruth and seeing that God continues to make all things new. Judges is still happening and this is still a season of suffering, but in the midst of this season of suffering, we see tremendous fulfillment and renewal. Before I conclude with the end credits of the book of Ruth, I want to unpack just three brief ways that I'm thinking about this for our congregation that's moving similarly from a season of bitterness and maybe emptiness to what I hope to be a season of fulfillment and renewal. And how can you start taking steps towards that, especially if you're just not feeling it yet? So here are three ways to think about it based on the theology in the book of Ruth. Number one, to go out of this season into a season of renewal enjoy brothers and sisters god's kindness that has been the biggest theme in the book of ruth is the kindness of god his commitment to sinners his commitment through his prov- providence to his purposes to renew all things and what's being emphasized there is that god is so kind and you're coming out of a season and we're coming out of a season where things were a little bit rough and maybe life didn't look so perfect, and you can beat yourself up over that. You are not very kind to yourself probably right now in this season because you thought you might have been able to do better. Maybe you thought, like, you could have been a better teacher, you could have been a better worker, you could have been a better spouse, a better parent, whatever it is, better student, and a better Christian. And you have it in the back of your mind that you just royally messed up in this season that was a little bit of rough. Do you know what the gospel says to that? God is not mad at you. He is still so kind. The kindness that saved you in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is still that very kindness that looks upon you in this season and says, I love that daughter. I love that son. In in this season where you're not kind to yourself or you might even feel that others are not being kind to you, don't apply that to the Lord because the gospel makes it clear that his kindness continues. He still loves you and he still likes you right now. So lean into that kindness and experience the renewal of that rather than beating yourself up on the other side of this and being unkind to yourself. Number two, show kindness to others, and receive kindness from others. This is a season, as I said, that has been a season of division, debate, and isolation. So how do you overcome those things? There's a lot of things you can emphasize, but being kind to one another, as Christ is kind to you right now, is one of the ways out of this bitter season. Just chill out. Be gracious to one another. Everybody had a rough season. Everybody thinks they can have done better. Everybody uh, is feeling the stress from this year plus that we have just went through. So be kind, extend grace. When you start to get together with people you haven't seen for a while, don't think like, where are we on the other side of the political aisle? What do we, how do we discuss how we do the mask mandate? Like don't start there. Just lean in, what have they been up to for the last year? And just listen and be gracious, and kind, and lean into friendships and relationships where that is reciprocated to you, and continue to experience that kindness in one another. One of the unique things that we have here as a congregation is that we are all united in the gospel. Despite all the struggles and things that we have debated over this last year, that is still so powerful. And you better believe that as we come back together out of this season, that we can still be united because the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the kind of power that is with you right now to come back together in Christ. And number three, in a world that also is wound a little tight, showing and displaying kindness to your neighbors is also important. It's not just the people of God that have felt this, but the people that you live by, the people that you work with, They've had a rough season, and if you lean into your neighbor's life with that type of kindness that you are excited to extend to your brothers and sisters in Christ, the type of kindness that God has for you even in this moment, it could change their life and maybe even raise their dead faith from the grave. Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's right. that gets me ready for vacation, a little bit of interaction there. Verse 17, we get into the end credits. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then it goes into verses that detail the family tree that leads to King David, the promised king of Israel, who brings in a everlasting kingdom. But the closing credits don't end there in scripture. You go to the opening of the Gospel of Matthew, and there's still some more closing credits there which connects this family tree from David to the forever king who is named Jesus Christ. This is a short but significant story because it's connected to a larger story of redemption that we know to be true in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of God's providence and kindness to Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and their embodiment of that in this story, God used this to fulfill his greater and bigger promise to raise up a king and not just King David, but King Jesus Christ who will forever reign over his forever kingdom. So this is how I want to end in that reflection. Just like Ruth, we're separated from God's people and excluded from the security of the covenant. But now we who were once far off are brought near to God through the blood of Christ which is how God displays his kindness. Ephesians 2, 12 through 13, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's God's kindness in Christ. And he did that act of restoration and renewal through his death and resurrection, and that's what causes bitter seasons to start to end, to start to thaw out a little bit. It's the type of thing, the type of kindness that brings division back together and restores all things.